Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. The Kingdom Ethics Podcast is a production of the Center for Theology and Public Life at Mercer University, where the world's hardest problems meet faith's deepest values. This is our first season, and we have been working through the book Moral Leadership for a Divided Age. It's been a few weeks since we've gotten an episode out because we've been crazy busy. And so David and I sat down and talked about some of the great things that have been going on recently. I've taken that long conversation and split it into three parts. This is the first part of that. It'll catch you up to speed with us and what we've been up to and set up David's address from the American Academy of Religion conference. I hope you enjoy the episode. We had a lot of fun making it, and we're glad to be back. This week, we're recording on the campus of the McAfee School of Theology at Mercy University. So you'll forgive us if there's a little extra background noise. There's a lot going on here. Welcome to Kingdom Ethics. Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and welcome to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. You're currently sitting with us in the back offices of the Center for Theology and Public Life at the McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University in Atlanta. I'm glad you're here. I am David Gushy. Just call me David. All right, David. (laughs) It's been a while since we've done this. It's now fall in Atlanta. The SEC championship is just over the horizon. Atlanta United is going to the MLS Super Bowl. Is Is it one game? There's one game left. And Atlanta sports needs a Super Bowl-type championship. I'm going to tell you the truth. Before Atlanta, I've never lived anywhere with professional sports. Pensacola, Florida, Birmingham, Alabama, no pro sports. So when I moved here, I sold out. I got excited. I got on board. I bandwagoned hard. I bought Braves gear. I bought Hawks gear. I bought Falcons gear, and I very quickly realized that all Atlanta sports are secretly in the pocket of Big Pharmaceutical, designed to sell me antidepressants. (laughs) It's so painful being an Atlanta sports fan. When the Falcons were in the Super Bowl, I was a youth pastor at a church in Decatur, and we were at a, a home in Decatur with 20 kids watching the game. And Atlanta is up. How far were we up? 28 to 3. 28 to 3. And one of my high school boys starts crying. He's a sophomore in high school. And he's sitting on the couch. And these tears start going down his face. There's there's sniffling. And it's like really starts crying. And I'm like, dude, dude, what is it? What's wrong? He's like, we're going to (laughs) lose. We're we're not going to lose. We're up 20. Eight to three. We're gonna lose. We're Atlanta. We never win. And he he didn't stop crying for the rest of the night. He knew it was coming. So there was just a constant stream of tears every now and then. He'd crack. Think about speak. think about the psychological malformation that had already happened for him to be to be at that place. So anyway, let's hope that Atlanta United brings home a championship. Not that it'll matter to diehard basketball, baseball, and football fans, but still. It's been a while since we've talked. I know I've been very busy, and you've been crazy busy. You've been all over the place. 
since the last time we did a show, uh, I've been in Australia where I <laughs> I flew 10,000 miles plus and got off the airplane, got a couple hours rest and spoke at a theological college and then at a conference on uh, LGBTQ inclusion in the church. That was interesting, really interesting. And then well, about three weeks after that, I was in Calgary, Canada, um, way, way the kind of prairie upper west in Canada and was speaking there at the University of Calgary at a, a lectureship and uh, also preached at a church and met with progressive Dutch reform folks there. And then the American Academy of Religion meeting in Denver, which ended my presidency of AAR. And um, it was just an extraordinary and amazing experience. So we have a lot to talk about besides besides the Moral Leaders book, which has also been released. And is doing well. Yeah, it seems to be doing well. That sounded a lot more surprised than I actually am. <laughs> it's getting some good reviews and, um, you know, kind of good buzz about the book. This might be a little self-serving, but I bought six of the books yesterday. Six hard copies and two audiobooks. The audiobook is excellent to uh, give as Christmas gifts this year cool so you're welcome thank you we appreciate the sales and the support for sure so i've been really busy too do you know about the uh writing project that i've got going on right now no oh cool well one of the uh side projects i do besides being a pastor and working here at ctpl is i work with an international mission sending organization called wordwalk that's great that's a good model and we've been going for about 10 years Lots of projects, people all over the world, multiple pastor schools, lots of projects, a lot of good things to talk about. In the future, when we're just doing some ethics talk, attacking issues once we're done with the great moral leaders, ethics of missions is something that I'm really interested in. A lot of what we do is based around relationships. Just this morning, I was talking to a pastor on the phone. He is based in Uganda, and he pretty much has one book. It's the Bible, and he can read most of it, and he's very smart. He can understand it, but that's the extent of his resources. But he understands the Spirit in ways that I don't or don't know how to, and a lot of our conversations go like this. Your prayer is completely different than mine. Can you teach me how to do that? Hmm. And here's, here's what all of these dead Germans are saying about Jesus. <laughs> it's sort of how that relationship goes. An exchange from strength. Yeah. yeah. And so right now yeah. I'm... Sorry, I got excited and got off mic. Let me get back in here. So right now I'm on a team writing a Bible commentary for pastors. Right now we're focused on rural Africa that speak peripheral languages that the work isn't being published in. And so there's a rigorous process of all of us thinkers, pastors, scholars from around the world writing, editing, editing against each other, and then it being sent to a seminary that we've partnered with in Zimbabwe to be edited and contextualized and translated. That is cool. A commentary on what? The whole thing. The whole Bible. Most of my work is Old Testament. I've written a Hebrew glossary. I just completed an article 
on the Feasts of Leviticus 23, so I'm doing a lot of that sort of work. The whole thing, the whole Bible, most of my work is Old Testament. I've written a Hebrew glossary. I just completed an article on the Feasts of Leviticus 23, so I'm doing a lot of that sort of work. Awesome. How Such a rewarding thing for you to be doing, and a rewarding time for you, it sounds, it Jeremy. Is. Things are really good. That's... And we just bought a house. We bought a house, and it flooded. Nice. I know. <laughs> Homeownership is wonderful. Uh-huh. So I've already spent a lot of money on plumbing. Oh, welcome. Welcome, oh, indeed. Yeah. So I want to talk about the American Academy of Religion, because... Uh, a lot of people don't have a context for the AAR, what it is, or what it means for you to be the president of it. Do you have some sort of elevator speech to explain what it is y'all do? Sure. Um, the American Academy of Religion is the premier association of people who teach advanced studies in religion in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, we have about 8,000 members, plus or minus. 15% um, of our membership is non-U.S. Uh, so there's plenty of people who come to the AAR meeting, which happens in November, right before Thanksgiving every year. People come from all around the world. And it, it's a professional association run at a very high level. The office is uh, based here in Atlanta. Uh, staff of about 15. It has over 150 program units. So... AAR is where uh, professionals, scholars of religion, share their work with each other and um, refine and advance the discipline. It's also where publishers meet authors, also where schools meet candidates for jobs. A lot of job interviews happen there. Is this a good place for young scholars? It's, a, it's an indispensable place for young scholars. Uh, you don't have to have a PhD to go. Anybody can go. Um, I mean, I, that may be a little broad, but anyway, if you, you can register and go. People who are undergrads go, uh, but mainly it's doctoral students, some master's students, and people who have their degrees and are in the field. Um, and it's a, an environment of, the annual meeting is an environment of uh, a lot of intellectual excitement, networking, friendship, and... Um, tremendous amount of diversity all meeting together um, because people uh, of all kinds of different religious faiths or no faith uh, of all different specializations from all around the world meeting to to advance their work. Sadly, I wasn't able to make it to AAR this year. I had planned to come. I was really excited to come, but I realized I had a year prior overbooked a wedding for the same time really fun wedding uh, with some of the kids that were dating in the first youth group that I pastored. Now this was a, uh, a special wedding and it had a theme. Let me just pass you this picture. Oh my. And you look spectacular there, Jeremy. <laughs> that, uh, if you don't recognize it, that vest uh, once belonged to Stone Cold Steve Austin. The wedding was themed. The theme was professional wrestling. <laughs> Welcome to the South, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Home of AAR main offices and SmackDown weddings. <laughs> That's great. I told them it had to be, the service had to be sober 
and serious and like what about immediately after so the moment i pronounced them i received the vest and was thrown a beer and it was a beautiful day and that picture will last forever online it, it exists on the i'll i'll post it to the uh the podcast web pages too <laughs> so y'all can see that so as the president what were you really proud of this year um the president sets a theme and people can decide whether they care about the theme or not. I mean, the program units can relate to the theme if they want to, but there's no obligation. The theme uh, was religion in public, the civic responsibilities, opportunities, and risks facing scholars of religion. Um, and so the theme ba is, was based on my own experience, but a lot of others as well. The president also gets to uh, organize three plenary sessions and invite people to those, and then you do the presidential address. So in a sense, the plenary sessions, the, the people vote with their feet as to whether they care. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to go. So um, there were three lunchtime programs that I organized. One involved top religion journalists for an hour dialoguing with me about their work and about how religion scholars resource their work and can do that better. Uh, one was my old friend, Jim Wallace of Sojourners, who I invited to give an address, which was very well received, actually a standing ovation. And then the most intense session by far was the last one on Monday of AAR, in which I invited five religion scholars who are highly visible, mainly senior religion scholars, I mean, who are mid-career, very visible, who have taken all kinds of boatloads of abuse for what they do to talk about their life as public religion scholars, public figures in a social media age and what it's like. Mm -hmm. And it was remarkably intense because each of these folks shared their calling, their, their journey, and some unexpected details of, of the suffering that they have endured and the threats that they still face, just including death threats and for the women, rape threats. Mm -hmm. Uh, just to do their work. It was riveting. Uh, somebody online said afterwards they thought it was the single most important session they'd ever experienced in the entirety of the history of AAR. For me, I found it deeply inspiring and renewing in a sense of, I mean, this was uh, Eddie Glaude from Princeton, Candida Moss, a New Testament scholar, early church history mm -hmm. scholar, who now at Birmingham, Larisha Hawkins, who was the one who was forced out at Wheaton College. Who has a really cool side project going on with that documentary that you're heavily featured in, and I believe I am visible in. Yeah, the on. same God film, now at University of Virginia. Um, uh, Najiba Saeed, who teaches at Claremont School of Theology, a Muslim woman, and Simranjit Singh, who is a Sikh scholar based in New York. Huh. And um, all of them told their stories. And... One of the things that was kind of a theme, especially for our scholars of color, was we don't have any choice but to be public. When we walk in a room, Najiba Sayyid said, when I walk in a room with my hijab and my person, I'm already disruptive and experienced as disruptive and often seen as a threat to some people. I can't help but engage, and so I do. So you might say the challenge, especially to white scholars, white male scholars, maybe in particular, is... Are you going to engage in a way that is risky? Because in a sense, you can you can retreat if you want, 
that you can get away with it. I can't retreat. And so I found it, it in a sense, it resolved something for me, Jeremy, um, that was raised in my memoir. And that was whether I still had some fight left in me, whether, um, whether I was still going to continue to engage the public arena. And in a sense, it was answered at that panel, but also maybe at my own plenary address, which is, it would be irresponsible and a violation of my vocation to withdraw. There, there will come a day when I will retire, I guess, but I'm not there yet and I still have responsibilities. And in a sense, those responsibilities are only heightened because of what I did at the AR meeting this year and in my presidential address. All right, and that's what we're going to pick up next time. When we come back together, we're going to pick up the conversation with the question, what does it mean to describe something as evangelical? There's a lot of controversy and energy and political power behind that word, so I'm excited to have that conversation with y'all. We'll see you next time here on Kingdom Ethics.